This is TK331 of Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. So today we are reading A Hunter's Fate Greedo's Tale, the second short story in Tales from the Most Isley Cantina, and written by Tom and Martha Veach, edited by Kevin J. Anderson, and published by Bantam Spectra in June of 1995. The Veaches are a married couple, and this is the only Star Wars story that Martha has ever worked on. Tom is primarily a comic book writer and has written several Star Wars comics, including Tales of the Jedi and the Dark Empire series. A Hunter's Fate tells the story of Greedo, the Rodian who Han blasts at the beginning of A New Hope. It was later adapted into a webcomic, which was published from October 2004 to March 2005. A number of legend stories don't exactly fit in well with the prequel trilogy or the Clone Wars TV show, However, only a few of them are completely contradicted by the prequels and Clone Wars. This is one of those stories. In The Phantom Menace, we see a young Rodian who is not named in the movie. However, in a deleted scene, it's revealed that this is in fact Greedo, and Lucas said that this was the same character. Later, the Rodian in The Phantom Menace was retconned to be Greedo's father. In the third season of Clone Wars, the fourth episode is titled Sphere of Influence, and Greedo is in it as an adult bounty hunter. It's established that this is both the same Greedo that was in The Phantom Menace and the same one that Han shoots in A New Hope, so... It's been a couple times. There's just six Greedos running around the galaxy. They're all Rodian. They're all in varying stages of being bounty hunters. They and may or Han may not... Han shot them all. <laughs> in every alternate universe, Han shot them first. <laughs> but anyway, in this version of canon, which has been... You know, written over a couple of times, but... <laughs> by Lucas himself, by the Clone Wars TV show, and then eventually by Disney. <laughs> you know that Lucas just said that in a moment of, like... And then he never thought about it again. Probably not, no. Alright, I've, I've definitely made up a personality for George <laughs> Lucas that I have no idea if it's correct or not. But it's the one that I'm sticking with in my head. <laughs> and that personality is, someone asks him a question to establish canon compliance he makes something up and then he walks away from it forever <laughs> i think for certain things that absolutely happened for others i think he actually would think about it this one it definitely seems like it fits that yeah so greedo is 15 at the start of the story he's living with about 200 rodians on an isolated planet this includes his younger brother paquiduk and his mother nila they're both from the tetsu clan actually everyone on this planet is from the tetsu clan right i believe so the story opens with Greedo and Queeduck finding three ships in a cave. And Greedo feels like he recognizes the ships, but that doesn't really make sense because he's lived in this jungle his whole life. The older Rodians have previously talked about life before living here, but never did so in front of the younger ones. However, at night, Greedo had overheard some conversations and heard strange words, including Empire, the Clan Wars, Bounty Hunters, Starships, Jedi Knights, Hyperspace, and others. Clan Wars sounds too close to Clone Wars. When I actually first was reading this, I was like, did the authors intentionally do this to misrepresent Clone Wars because that would be an easy thing that like, a child would mishear? Yeah. Or was it actually Clan Wars? Turns out it's actually Clan Wars. I could imagine a kid not knowing either the words, you know, clan or clone. Yeah, easily. And after discovering these ships with his brother, Greedo realizes that this is proof of this other life that he has just heard the adults whisper about while he's supposed to be sleeping. And he's really curious about it, so he goes to his mother to ask about the ships and their past. 
So Nila tells him some of what happened. Gerido was not, in fact, born here. He was born on R- Rodia, and they arrived here. Is it Rodia or Rodia? I've always known Rodia, but I could be wrong. Did they say I feel Rodia? like I remember it being pronounced Rodia in Clone Wars, but I could be making that up. I've always known Rodia in my head, so if they said different in the show, I just... Rodia sounds too much like Rodeo. It sounds like Rodian. But then, like, you have Naboo versus... Nubian. Nubian. True. It, like, the, the sound doesn't always translate. It doesn't. Mars, Martian. America, Americans. He was born on the planets where Rodians come from. <laughs> planets, plural? Or just planet. planet? Oh, okay. And they arrived on this in this jungle about two years after he was born. And Rodians, they're known throughout the galaxy as great hunters, but eventually they started hunting each other for sport and had these kind of gladiatorial games. That's quite an escalation really is. <laughs> his father was apparently a great hunter, but never partook in hunting his own kind, which is a good call. A little bit. I feel like once your culture has started hunting each other for sport, you're on a, a slippery slope that you cannot unslip. And uh, someone named Navik the Red was responsible for Greedo's father's deaths, as well as many others, because he would not participate in the hunt of other Rodians. In the most dangerous game. Exactly. <laughs> so Nila and the survivors of the Tetsu clan ran and vowed not to tell the children what had happened until they were adults. So she's now breaking that vow, but kind of justifies it by saying that Greedo is almost as tall as his father was when he died. Greedo does ask about the Empire, but at that point, Nila stops the competition and says, when you're older, you can hear about them. Of course, a month after Greedo finds the ships... Navik finds them, so the Rodians flee into the jungle as the village is massacred. <laughs> About 20 surviving Rodians get to the ships, and two of the ships manage to get away. The third stays for any stragglers, but as it tries to leave, it's destroyed. It doesn't even get a chance to close the hatch before it is just uh, exploded. This is basically like Navik believes so hard in hunting his own kind for sport that he will hunt them across the galaxy for sport. Not just that, it feels like the clan wars that the adults had spoken of were... I think it started out as sport, and then it literally devolved into wars between these clans and factions. Sure. And Navik is doing his best to wipe out his enemies. Yeah. But the survivors, what few of them there are, flee to Nar Shaddaa, the smuggler's moon. They find a home in a sector that's controlled by Corellian smugglers on level 88, and it's only supposed to be a temporary stopover, but they actually end up remaining there for the next four years. Great place for an adolescent. <sighs> yeah. In those four years, Greedo makes a friend named Anki Friend, who has introduced Greedo to a life of crime, and, ha- and they've been a team for the past two years. The rebels also have a presence on Narshadah, stashing supplies and weapons near where the Rodians currently live. On level 88. One day, while Greedo's out picking flowers, I don't know, making a nuisance of himself. I think it's more the second thing. First of all, I doubt that the kind of flowers that grow on Narshada are the ones that you want to pick and bring into your house. No. Unless he's picking them to create poisons. True. So for those of you who don't know, Narshada orbits Nalhada, which is the home of the Hut clans. And it's a pretty lawless place. Smugglers... I wouldn't say rule because no one really rules Narshadah, but smugglers, pirates, bounty hunters basically have, can do whatever they want. 
there is no imperial jurisdiction. There was little to no republic jurisdiction beforehand. So, like you said, great place for a impressionable young teenager to be growing up. So while Greedo was out thinking flowers causing a nuisance, uh, <laughs> he sees a pair of bounty hunters, Disnataz and Spurchgoa, trying to take down a target in front of Greedo. He is very impressed and envious of these two powerful hunters. He has kind of connected my father was a hunter with bounty hunter somehow. I do think a number of Rodians are bounty hunters because they are good hunters. Yeah. So it's a... Acceptable hunting people for sport kind of business. Well, not sport, but more for for living. People make money off of sports. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> However, these two bounty hunters are ambushed by Gorm the Dissolver, a cyborg. What and, a name. Right? Gorm the Dissolver. That's a real D&D name. Uh, during the ensuing fight, Goa's blast rifle is dropped and ends up near Greedo. So he picks it up and shoots Gorm in the back. Saving the two hunters. And they're like, yeah, thank you so much. We'll give you a cut of what we have for saving us. And then Greedo actually counters with, I don't want that. I want to make a deal with you. I can get us all a lot more money. He knows that the Imperial forces will pay for intel about the rebels. So he tells doesn't go, okay, I know where the rebels are. Take this information to the Empire and we can all get paid. Because he doesn't really know who to contact in the Empire, but he figures these bounty hunters... They're going to be able to figure out in a way that a 19-year-old can't. Yeah. So they uh, they agree to this deal, and they run off to the Empire to tell them that they are rebels on level 88. Greedo, being an impulsive, ambitious, idiot kid, doesn't really realize and think, oh, my family is near there. Well, I think he, you know, as we see happen throughout Star Wars... People who have not had direct contact with the Empire don't fully understand how they operate. He's probably, like, not even really thinking about it, but thinking, oh, the Empire will come in and go to that location and take these people specifically into custody. He's not thinking, the Empire likes to take the shortest and easiest path to the most results. Therefore, they'll just bomb the whole place from orbit. Yeah, and Greedo, it's not that he hasn't had contact with the Empire. He's been actually sheltered from the Empire for most of his life, mm-hmm. both in the jungle before and now in Arshadab, where, again, the Empire has little to no presence. There is technically, I think, a Governor Armoff that is nominally in charge of the system, but they really don't do anything. Yeah, but he's not thinking about any of that. No. While the two bounty hunters are figuring out how to report this information, he's dreaming about how he's going to use his share of the reward, which is to buy a ship from Shug Ninx. Shug Ninx is a character introduced in the Hut Gambit, the second book in the Han Solo trilogy, which you read a few years ago. And so I do not remember him. Shug is actually not even in this book. It's just his... Uh, Shug. His repair shop <laughs> is. Greedo brags to Anki about the ship and how he's going to learn to become a bounty hunter because... Diz and Goa are going to teach him. And he's going to call the ship the Manka Hunter, named for the Manka cats, which were in the uh, jungle that he grew up in. It's pretty much the only predator the Rodian colony had to deal with on that planet. So during the bragging, Greedo decides, you know, I'm going to show Anki the ship I'm going to buy with my money. Greedo takes Anki to Nix's repair shop to show off the income Corsair he wants to buy. While at the shop, Greedo and Anki see a Corlean Corvette being worked on. This is the Millennium Falcon, and it is Han and Chewie who are making repairs because the ship is 
constantly in and out of Shug's shop in the Han Solo trilogy, as you may remember. You know, it's a bad ship. It's a lovely ship. I mean, it's a good ship, but it's a bad ship. I mean, it might be Han's just not the best... Mechanic? Owner? (laughs) Yeah. Chewie's a good mechanic. Yeah. Well... mm... Better than Han. But at the same time, I did I do remember a scene in Empire where Chewie just like slams a wrench or something against the bulkhead <laughs> yeah. and pulls it back, and there's just, so there's just like s- electricity. Like that doesn't seem good. You gotta do what you gotta do. Sometimes. But I guess you get frustrated, especially if you're a Wookie living with Han Solo, living with Han in a small enclosed space. I wonder if at some point. At various points over the years, as they spend longer and longer together, Chewie's like, I really regret having a life debt to this particular human. (laughs) At times, I'm sure. (laughs) So yeah, the Falcon's being worked on, and out on like, I don't know, it kind of of read like these, this item was out on a table with a golden light shining upon it. Greedo and Anki see this pair of Deck 6 power couplings. They're worth 20,000 credits, and they're just laying out there. They're clearly about to be installed on the Falcon, but Greedo wants them for his ship, so he's like, I'm gonna steal these. Greedo's feeling greedy. He's also feeling stupid. A little bit. (laughs) But he's an adolescent on Narshada, so what do you expect? Chewie stops the theft and is ready to rip some arms off, because... That's what Chewie does. Han stops Chewie from severely injuring either of these two young miscreants. Instead, he gives Greedo a couple of burnt-out power couplings from the Falcon. The ones that they're taking off. Mm -hmm. Which humiliates Greedo. Han also takes Greedo's jacket. Right. For flavor. Han's kind of a jerk in this story. I mean... I don't really feel like he is. Well, he makes a comment on Chewie like, you've got to fix these young kids when they're young before they do something really bad like you're some old ancient battle-hardened warrior han you're maybe mid-20s at this point you're not that much older than greedo that's true i this is a me problem i always get harrison ford's age confused with han's age because harrison ford was like 30 in a new hope but I think Han is a little younger than yeah, that, right? Yeah, it's mid to late 20s, I forget his exact age. So his brain really has only just stopped maturing. And let's be honest, he's been hitting the head a lot in his life, I feel like. <laughs> I don't think he's been... Yeah. I'm not sure he ever fully matures. Yeah, it depends on which version of canon you read, I suppose. Actually, no, it doesn't. He doesn't mature in any of them. No, he really doesn't. <sighs> well, he makes a little... He takes, like, one step forward and then... Two steps back. Two steps back. And two then, forward. Yeah. Three back. Yeah. It's, not, it's a process. It's really depressing. <laughs> anyway, like those comments are kind of, he's being very... Uh, Snooty? Yeah, but at the same time, like this kid just tried to swipe $20,000 worth of, you know, come to think of it, stuff that Han probably also stole. Yeah. Never uh, mind. He is a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he's not exactly a law-abiding citizen at this point in the timeline. No, he's not a paragon of moral standing. Not at all. Anyway, Greedo's humiliated by this whole exchange because if he had been better at swiping stuff or if, like, if he had at least had a good comeback for Han, but he doesn't. He's 19. Yeah. (laughs) So Greedo runs away humiliated. Eventually he runs back into Goa. And he's expecting a really big payday for the information. 200 whole credits. 
combined with the early humiliation, the disappointment he now feels, this is a really bad day for Greedo. And yeah. I, I think he he traces a lot of those bad feelings back to Han. Like, the, just this compounds what he's feeling towards him. Sure. But Goa has a better deal for him. He says, I see your disappointment is 200. I can give you 20,000 credits, but you're going to walk away and you'll never see me again. Or you take the 200 and I'll teach you how to be a bounty hunter. And he talks it up a lot. He's like, you know, you're kind. They make great bounty hunters. I can really help you out. Bring you up to speed. Finger guns. Greedo accepts because he doesn't know any better. Yeah, he, he doesn't have any experience with, like, people conning him. I'm sure he has some because he's a petty criminal in Arshada, but sure. certainly not at this not level. A, not this smooth of an operator. <laughs> Even though I don't think Goa is particularly smooth. No, but compared to Greedo... Like, if this was a deal that was being offered to me, I would be like, I'll take the 20,000 credits, thank you, goodbye. But I recognize that I'm not the type of person who would ever have shot someone called Gorm the Dissolver in the back in a dark alley, so. I mean, in the right situation, you might. If Gorm was attacking me or Kyber. Yeah. I would do my best. <laughs> <laughs> my best would probably be very lackluster. Goa thinks to himself that the fool kid fell for it, and all he has to do is teach him a few quote-unquote tricks of the trade, and Goa has just made a nice, tidy profit of 19,800 credits. It's a good day to be Goa. Convenient. We then switch to Vader, which was kind of a surprise inclusion in this story. Yeah, it was. It reminded me a little bit of Vader in Rogue One, not as... Not as artful. Not as effective. Not as skilled. Not as scary, but still, it's... It's a very small scene, but it's a, it's a powerful one, I thought. Sure, it ties us back into, like, the main Star Wars conflict and shows us how much the Rebel versus Empire activity causes so much collateral damage. And how it's ramping up towards New Hope. Yeah. So, Vader is preparing for the attack on the Rebels, and he really wants to catch them by surprise. But, surprise doesn't happen. The Imperials attack, and they battle. Really, a slaughter ensues. The Rebels just, they're not ready for this. They're not prepared for what Vader sends at them. Yeah. And it's at this point, Greedo realizes, oh, I may have made a mistake, and he becomes suddenly concerned for his family. So he tries to go back to level 88, but the lift will not take him there. It's on so much fire. There is a window, though, so he can actually see what's going on, and he sees these Rebels just being massacred by the Stormtroopers. Yeah, what did you expect, kid? (laughs) So since he can't get back to his family Greedo decides to leave and while he is leaving or while the lift is leaving the entire sector just shakes as if it had been hit by an asteroid is the description in the book which bad very bad yeah also what happened to level 87 and level 89 if level 88 is getting pounded they get to that he runs into Disengoa and they tell him the imps are mad and it is time to leave Narshadal for good and, again, for one more moment, Greedo is worried about his family. But the other two tell him, you know what? If you're going to be a bounty hunter, you have to tell them goodbye Sunday. Today may as well be that day. Yeah, like, it's not a profession where you get to keep loved ones unless you want them to die because of you someday. Thinking of, uh, he's not a bounty hunter, he's an assassin, but I'm replaying Mass Effect, and Thane is a good example of this. You kill a bunch of people for money, or you capture a bunch of people for money, and soon enough, some of the friends and associates of those people are going to want to kill or capture your family for money. (laughs) 
as the three fly away, they look back and see about 20 levels just collapse because of the Imperial attack. That's rough, buddy. So there's 89 and 87. They're gone. And lots of others. Yeah. The group heads to Tatooine. And it turns out that Gorm, the Dissolver, who Greedo shot, is still alive and working there. Pays to be a cyborg. Yeah. I'm telling you. It's really hard to kill him. But Gorm has another job, so Gorm just kind of ignores them. They also see Han. Oof. Greedo is... He's white-hot mad at Han. Yeah. So stupid. He learns that Han is on Jabba's list. Not the nice list. The naughty list. Does Jabba have a good list? Hmm... <laughs> It's very, it's in always in motion. Well, I think there might be like a good list in Jabba's head. Like the ones who are about to pay him or something, or he's about to put the bounty on or whatever. But mm. for the people on that list, it's not good for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe like his favorite bounty hunters like Fett might be on the good list. Maybe. Regardless, Greedo dreams of revenge for the humiliation he received for Han. So he would like to take that item on Jabba's list. Mm-hmm. So the three head for Jabba's palace, and Go apparently can speak just perfectly fluent Huttese. Because he knows you really need to impress Jabba, and the easy way to do that is to speak in his language and not use the droid. Because he hates the droid. <laughs> Greedo is given the task of collecting Han, and Go is going to help him because this is Greedo's first real job. Diz wants nothing to do with Han. Yeah, he's scared of what will happen. Yeah. Um, because he thinks Han's too lucky. He's got a Wookiee who will really mess you up if you get in the way. <laughs> and just, yeah, he's heard stories. He's like, I'm just nothing to do on you two. Have fun. He goes off and gets his own job. And we also learn that the story that Jabba's heard is that Han was boarded and had to dump a spice. However, what Jabba believes is that that's a lie. And Han actually just sold the spice and kept the money for himself. So Jabba, he wants his money. So he wants Han alive. Because you have a harder time collecting money from a dead person? Yeah. I guess if they don't keep all their money conveniently on their person, then yeah, it's easier to collect from a live article. So Greedo confronts Han at the Falcon. Han says that he has the money and will hand it over the next day. And he'll even give an extra cut of 4,000 credits to Greedo. And Greedo's like, oh yeah, buddy, I'm a great hunter. And Goa's like, Han is stalling you. Like, I'm... He doesn't say this, but Goa must be thinking, I'm a con man. I know what Han is doing. And Greedo's like, no, 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 it's cool. He's going to give me 4,000. Goa just... I, I imagine the Picard face pump. Yeah. At this moment. Yeah. Goa also points out two Rodians to Greedo and says that Greedo should meet them as they may be able to teach him a few tricks that Goa can't, being fellow Rodians. Did you start getting suspicious at this point? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because we've seen them a few times since arriving on Tatooine. Greedo has avoided them, properly fearing for his life because of what happened with his clan. At this point, as far as we know, he is the last surviving member of the Tetsu clan. Yeah. So Greedo actually waits at the hangar for Han the next morning because that was the established meeting place. But Han never shows. Shocking. Who saw that coming? So instead, Greedo goes to harass Han while he's eating breakfast. They talk, Greedo has his blaster drawn, the man Han gives him the money right now. But Chewie intervenes. Han takes the blaster, removes the paracord, and hands the useless piece of metal back to Greedo. Another embarrassment. Yeah, Greedo, between this, the why of the money, the power couplings, Greedo's just really just having it up to here with Han. Yep. 
Greedo and Goa go back to Jabba. And Jabba, he's uh, he's not happy. Jabba is very upset that Greedo has failed to collect and deliver the money to him. And Goa pleads for Greedo to have another chance. Says, let Greedo kill Han and take the ship as payment. That'll be easier than talking the money out of him. And for criminals and bounty hunters, that's a reasonable replacement. Yep. <laughs> so Jabba agrees. But he also raises the price of Han's head to 100,000 credits and makes an open bounty. So even if Greedo can't get Han... Someone will. Or not. That eventually does in a few years. It takes a while. It does. Real delayed gratification for Jabba. Uh, at this point, we also learn that Diz has left Tatooine behind. He's hitched a ride with Forlum and Zuckus. Zuckus. Zuckus is a gand. Zuckus. Your favorite species. What a name. Uh, we actually see them in Empire, briefly. Really? Mm-hmm. They're on that shelf of bounty hunters with Bosk, Fett, and the other. A shelf of bounty hunters. Is that what you call it? I don't know. What would you call it? <laughs> They're standing on the walkway. Yeah. Above the command pits. Mm-hmm. It's so, not a shelf. It may as well be. Not, you made it sound like Vader has these, like, gosh upon ball bounty hunters up on a shelf that he, like, takes down and activates and they grow to life size. I mean... This is a wonderful theory that I've just created. What a theory. <laughs> but in some ways, it kind of is that. Like, he's got them on display showing the Imperial forces, you know, you're not good enough. They're going to do the job that you couldn't do. Sure, but I I personally just wouldn't try to put a bounty hunter on a shelf. I mean, neither of us is Vader. It's not the same as Elf on a shelf. <laughs> so Goa and Greedo... Go to the cantina, where they see Obi-Wan in action, cutting off an arm. And Goa actually recognizes him as a Jedi. And Greedo recognizes that word from his childhood. Yeah. And finally has a kind of, still a pretty vague idea of what a Jedi is, but at least has a face and a weapon to it, the name. I mean, honestly, they're basically like a fancier Wookiee to him. They cut off arms with a lightsaber it's instead a... of ripping them off. <laughs> I mean, the template is doesn't it? Does it? Either way, your arm is off. I think I'd rather clean cut than be torn off. That in A New Hope, they had not figured out that lightsabers cauterized, so it did not look like a clean cut. All right, fair enough. Very bloody. It was like his arm was chopped off with a sword, basically. Just a metal sword. Yep. (laughs) And then Obi-Wan and Luke go over and talk with Han. This happens in the movie, of course. And Greedo sees this, and he's like, I'm just gonna wait my turn. I don't want to wait go. my turn to murder the man. I don't want to have to deal with the dude with the laser sword. Yeah, that's... the delimmer. Yeah, that, that thing is bad. <laughs> While waiting, the two Rodians who go appointed out earlier approach, and Go introduces them as Thuku and Nish. They talk for a bit. Thuku warns Greedo that Han has killed some of Jabba's goons, and warns Greedo that he could easily be next. But Greedo says he isn't worried. He has Goa for backup. Goa's got my back. Nothing wrong gonna happen here. Hmm. Knowing what we know in the movie, that's uh, what's gonna happen with Goa? Hmm. <laughs> Greedo gets up to go confront Han, and as he does, he has a vision of his dead family, his mother and his brother. Well presumably dead we don't actually see them yeah. die on page but i guess th- no one on narshada is running like search and rescue teams for those 20 levels huh no i mean there might be a few who do get help but i think for those who are at the center of the imperial attack i think it's safe to say they're just gone and in this vision nila is sad but happy also i wonder why yeah oh Greedo goes to confront han and goa just watches he sees the blaster come out of han's holster 
He knows exactly what's about to happen, but he does absolutely nothing as Han shoots Greedo. So nothing happens to go away. He just sits there and lets it happen. He just watches. And then we understand why. Yeah, Though story... I think you could have guessed why at yeah. this point. The story ends with Goa meeting up with those two Rodians, Thuku and Nish. Apparently, as a member of the Tetsu clan, there was a bounty on Greedo, and he was collecting it from these two Rodians. They were working for Inabic the Red, because he has decreed that all Tetsus must be killed. However, they couldn't kill Greedo because it can't be public knowledge that the Rodian clans were at war with each other. Why? I mean, Navik showed up in person on the jungle planet, no? That was just Rodians there. No one else. Um, I don't think they want, that Navik wants... Outsiders. Knowing how bad it's gotten among them. Hmm. Easier to slip in and cause problems for them. Yeah, that makes sense. And Go doesn't feel too proud about this bounty, but he also says that he knew that Han would handle it for him. What a coward. That's how it ends. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, what did you like about this story? What did you not like about it? So, what did you think about it? First of all, overall, I liked it. it was, I thought it was better than we uh, we don't do weddings. I agree with that. Strongly. I, I also liked how the previous story, We Don't Do Weddings, it ended with Greedo showing up. I thought it was just kind of a nice leap into what this story was going to be about. Yeah. I like that, too, when you can pull it off in these kind of anthologies. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the best times they pulled off. Like, this ends with Greedo dead, Goa being a coward going off with the money, and which doesn't connect really at all to the next story. Yeah. That being said, what happens in the canteen itself with Obi-Wan and the other actors, they all do, they all kind of all intersect at that moment in some yeah. way. So they all do lead in nicely, just not as nice as this one did. Yeah. I also really like how the story humanizes, or I guess Rodianizes Greedo. <laughs> it gives him a, an interesting backstory to a character who is essentially cannon fodder in A New Hope. Do you ever think about how unfortunate it is that we don't know any aliens? <laughs> It might also be fortunate given how we just assume certain things and say certain things. I just, ever, like, you really have to sit back sometimes and be like, huh, we don't live in an intergalactic society. And that sucks. You like too much, too much Mass Effect lately. I have been. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It was an interesting backstory. Again, in contrast to We Don't Do Weddings, I actually felt like Greedo took lots of actions in this story he's not just reacting to things he's a driver of the plot he turns in the rebels on level 88 on narshada he takes that shot and thus gets involved with the bounty hunters it's not like stuff is just happening to him he also has lots of motivations fame and prestige fortune and his heritage and safe face and embarrassment and pride yeah. i guess a certain uh teenage arrogance kind of like anakin Kind of like Anakin. And I thought both of these things, the fact that he has legit, like he has solid motivations and he is a plot driver, made the story way more zippy than we don't do weddings. He sees opportunities, he takes them. They don't go well, but he's like 19-ish. And since it seems like Rodians have a similar maturity rate to humans, it's unsurprising to me that he errs so badly in so many places. Like he doesn't yet have the life experience to fully think out the consequences of his actions before they happen. So he doesn't think about the fact that his family is also on level 88 and what the Empire might do to them. He also doesn't have enough wisdom to know that Goa is conning him. He doesn't have enough wisdom to, like, get little Sixth Sense goosebumps when he sees the Rodians talking to Goa on Tatooine. Well, that one he has a little bit of Sixth Sense on. But then he enough. discards it. Yeah. He, because they they make a show of, like, 
nodding to him or something. And he also thinks that Goa has his back. Yeah. Which that's where he really... Yeah. Yeah. These errors all kind of compound. And then he has this, like, this pride that very easily leads him astray. Um, Han embarrasses him for attempting to steal, so he forms this petty vendetta, which ultimately leads to his demise because of his desperation to show up Han and to, like, get back on top. But one complaint I do have about this story is how similar the aging process for Rodians is to humans. They are a vastly different species. I would have liked the maturing and aging process to be something that doesn't mirror ours so much. And th- this is a issue with the wider Star Wars universe, not just this story, but for whatever reason in this story, I really noticed it. I think that's because we see Greedo as this wide-eyed 15-year-old. We see him as this petulant, prideful 19-year-old. And it just really reminds me of human teenagers at those ages. So I think I would have liked his to be either younger or older, whichever, I don't care, but just a different maturing process than what yeah, you and I went through. either a shorter or longer-lived species. Yeah, one thing I liked about Mandalorian so much is Grogu is 50, and he's still a baby. Or, you know, Chewie is 250, give or take, around this time. Clearly, he's had a different aging and different maturing process than Han had. And I, I would like to see more of that kind of difference in Star Wars, I guess. I do see where writers are coming when they, where they're coming from when they are reluctant to create a shorter or longer lived species. It is hard for us as humans who have a very, like, we know our lifespans, right? Give or take. Like, we we know our, our average, like, what happens on average in a human lifespan, right? But think about when you have a species that lives for a thousand years, or a species that only lives for 30 years. A kind of like Solarian versus Yoda. I was going to say Asari or Krogan. Asari or Krogan, but I was trying to pull Star Wars back into it. It's hard, I think, to justify how prominent of a place humans have in the galaxy when they don't have the same amount of time that a longer-lived species would have to, like, establish alliances shore up their like economic fortitude all of that kind of stuff it really seems like a species that is longer lived than humanity unless they have other drawbacks would be much more established and dominant in the galaxy but instead in star wars what do we see we see a lot of human focused drama so i understand the temptation to make other species similarly quote-unquote short-lived because otherwise you get into this cascading, like, world-building problem. I get that. Anyway. I still just... It would have been nice if it was a little bit different. That's all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's more interesting when species have a very different... Not just maturing and aging process, but family structure, society structure. Like, in this way, the Geonosians are really interesting, right? Because they're this, like, hive. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely... Well, they don't have the aging, I think, all that great. The Star Wars does have a lot of different social and fam- familial structures throughout. So they do a better job of that, I would say. It's just that those are never the focus, yeah. because humans are always the focus. Yeah. I just remember when we get to the Corellian trilogy, they're going to talk about uh, the Slonians, who have a vastly different societal structure than humans do, as do others throughout the EU. The Gandar are a good example. Really? I mean, they have the, like, the cultural pronouns thing. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, okay. just, just how different that is from 
what we do. That must be real. Like, even with your... Do they have partners? If they have partners, do they still always refer to themselves in the third person with their partner? I would assume so. So interesting. Anyway, back to Hunter's Fate. I very much enjoyed Chuck Ninks' shop being in this, even though Chuck himself wasn't. It was a nice little connection to the Hauntable trilogy, which I personally just really love. And just, it's a good way to connect. Try and interconnect. Yeah, just, it connects things to the wider EU, which at this point in the 90s was kind of hard to do because things were written so out of order. So these little things, connections like this, I've always really appreciated. Yeah, it's one of the few things that can ground the stories. I also thought that the clan wars among the Rodians was a cool piece of world building. Especially since it's set up so early in the story and then it pays off in the end when Greedo is killed. Yeah, I thought they were fascinating, but I wish we saw more about it. I'm pretty sure this is the only story in Star Wars about the Clan Wars. I don't think there's another EU story about it, which is sad. Uh, and like you could have like made that more prominent by having Greedo be older. Yeah, that would have been an easy way to do it. Like he could have grown up in the Clan Wars and been one of the adolescents when they escaped. Yeah. Or if that episode in Clone Wars that he shows up in as an adult, if that had been referenced there somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of ways. Like, like I thought Navik the Red was an interesting villain, but he was not around enough to be a memorable one. And I think he actually could have been if we got more of this in the future. And more of like, besides the fact that their people just started hunting each other for sport, there has to be a little bit more motivation for Navik. A, a little bit more like drive than that. So yeah, he was a very off-screen villain. Yeah. I also would like to see more of the Rodian's life on Nar before the Empire struck. There's a good four years there where just, we don't know much. We know that Greedo and his friend Anki, they've been together for about two years, but other than that, we really don't have a sense of the history of what was going on with them in those four years. And I would have liked to see uh, a little more of that. Poison flower picking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I liked this story. It was interesting. It was an interesting version of Greedo, but to me, this version of Greedo doesn't match well with the one we saw, or maybe just the one that I saw in A New Hope. I imagined Han and Greedo having much more bitter of a history than just... And that was just based on the way they talk to each other before Han shoots in that scene. Yeah, I bet you have. Yeah. There's a lot of vitriol, I thought, especially from Han's side. So I thought it would have been something more than just a couple of annoying encounters and what basically amounted to a petty grudge from a kid. Like, that Greedo would be the sole one driving the animosity and that Han is just kind of like, why are you so obsessed with me? (laughs) I imagined that Greedo was older, more hardened, more established in his career than this poor idiot kid. I sort of imagined that only a certain type of hunter, basically like a Boba Fett peer, would be good enough and or stupid enough or both to try and collect Han. So the greedy we see in Clone Wars matches up better with what you imagine. Yeah. Part of this also could be like Greedo's side of the conversation is in Rodian during that scene, I suppose, or is it in Hut? It's one of the other, I'm not Hutties sure. Hutties. And not be Rodian because they, sp- they say Go- Goa can speak. Hatties, they don't mention that Greedo can in this story. Yeah, but we've established that the story is not necessarily canon, so... I'm trying to remember... Though I guess the writers would... The writers of the story would have taken whatever language Greedo was speaking in that scene. They wouldn't have said he doesn't speak Hatties if he was speaking in that scene. So I assume he's speaking Rodian. It's, you know, Rodian, air quotes, but it's gibberish, right? Like, you and I don't 
Yeah, okay. Do we have Buta solo? Yeah. You can read whatever emotion you want into that into that language because we don't understand the language and it's very alien. So I was imagining that he seemed kind of cool and collected in that scene, but I recognize that you can... Uh, he's an alien, so like... What do I know about his psychological tells? Anyway, I just imagined a, a different Greedo. Yeah. Uh, Vader wasn't in this story very much, but he took his presence felt in those few moments, and I, I like that. Yeah. He's a uh, oh, fun villain. Mass murderer. Yeah. He, he's an effective villain <laughs> to use, and sometimes, like in Rogue One, less is better. I think, I think it was good he wasn't a focus, but it was good that he was there and helped cause such destruction on a personal level for our protagonist. Yeah. So on the one hand, I appreciate that Goa feels bad about letting Greedo die. On the other hand, feeling bad and doing nothing, not really good enough. I mean, he's not a good guy. No, he's, he's absolutely not. But still, it was interesting to see a couple of bounty hunters who weren't one of the big ones from Empire Strikes Back. I like seeing more of the scum and villainy that Obi-Wan speaks of. The scum and villainy. I like to imagine that that cantina is actually like the only place of scum and villainy in Mos Eisley and everything else is just kind of farmers trying to make their way in the world. <laughs> I call it half true sometimes. <laughs> there was a line from Han that I really liked where he thinks to himself that his mouth is his best weapon. And I just wrote down in my notes like, honestly, Han, I don't think you understand your own skill set. <laughs> you can argue his smirk, maybe? I know that this joke has been made like 6,000 times, but Han is basically a person who has a really high charisma score, but keeps rolling ones. Like, he just does not... His mouth does not always come through for him. Because sometimes he panics and says, we're fine here, how are you? <laughs> and then shoots it. And then shoots... The, like, like, he always bails too quickly. He, he, he doesn't stick with the persuasion route. He he makes one misstep and he's like, oh, gotta go. Bye. <laughs> Time for you to meet the end of my blaster. And that uh, wraps up our discussion on A Hunter's Tale. You got me doing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> wraps up our discussion on A Hunter's Fate, Greedo's Tale. So next we're reading Iron Fist. Written by Aaron Alston. His second book and the sixth book in the X-Men series. Exciting. Now let's check the Net for messages. So we have a follow-up to our last email encounter with Jean-Claude. So thank you for sending us the correct pronunciation of your name. It is not, in fact, Jean-Claude. It is Jean-Claude. Hopefully we've got it right this time. <laughs> Jean-Claude. Yeah, the pronunciation is super, super helpful. Uh, Jean goes on to say that he really enjoyed uh, returning the Tales from Most Eisley Cantina. And he actually remembers uh, buying that book in a discount bin called Storm Over Tatooine in mm. German. At uh, Barnes Noble for four Deutschmarks or about two euros, and just he's very lucky he got such a cool source book for cheap. And he asked, "Where in the band's tale does it mention that they got a replacement Bith band to cover for them with Java?" So we actually found the passage. It's on page nine of our version. I'm sorry, that probably doesn't help you very much, but it's where he's he, Doik has appeared at the wedding. Um, they're kind of mingling, and Kodu gets his attention and says, Jabba, he's angry. Doik replies, angry? Who this time? Why? Kodu replies, you skipped out on your contract. And Doik says, we got another band to cover for us. Not as good as we are, but 
And Kodu says, Jabba noticed. <laughs> the ultimate compliment and death sentence at the same time. Yeah, I feel like you don't really want Jabba to notice you. No. Jan also asks us in the edition he has, uh, Doik is thinking goodbye, IVM retirement home. And Jan asks us, we have any idea what IVM stands for? And No, I don't think it's in this version. I'm trying to come up with like a funny a funny uh acronym. Interstellar Vehicular Music. No, it has to be like a planet or a spa retreat or something. <laughs> Sorry, that one we can't help you with. Yeah, no idea. And he also sent us a funny video. Apparently the Cantina band song was used in a German TV show in the 90s because the 90s were, uh, they were an interesting time. They were a time of many regrets. Yes. <laughs> it's a, some kind of animal film TV show and the, the clip's a little scary, actually. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, poor Jan, he actually hears this cover of the Cantina Band. When he hears it, he hears this voice singing over it. It's kind of annoying. He says, and I'm very sorry. We'll link it in the description box. Just so that everyone can be subject <laughs> to it. Cruel. And, you know, Jan talks about his thesis. It's actually his second thesis. He's previously written a history one that was 100 pages long, which... Oof. Yeah, seriously. And just thank you to Jan for the very nice email. And we also wanted to thank some folks who have interacted with us, or rather Tom on Twitter, since he's our social media manager. I mean, I usually check with you before I post something. That's true. I see stuff. I just, I'll be honest with you all, I don't do Twitter very much, so. (laughs) So our thanks to uh, Sakura Oni3, The Force Geeks, Ali Sue, Sam Porg, and Melvin Smile 3. Thank you for uh, interacting with us on Twitter. That's it for the Holonet for this episode. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for going along with this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. The moment had come. Greedo felt a mixture of fear and excitement. He closed his eyes and gathered his energies. Suddenly his mind filled with a bright image of a jungle world, dripping green neon leaves, a gathering of little huts, and busy half-naked green bodies. He saw himself and his brother Pequiduk running under the tall tendril trees, running toward the village. He saw his mother standing in the clearing waiting for them. He saw himself and his brother run to her, and she held out her arms and hugged them both. Then he was inside the vision, looking up into her huge eyes. She was crying. What's the matter, mother? Why are you sad? I am sad and I am happy, Greedo. I am sad because of what must happen. I am happy because you are coming home.